0: Um, I don't know how to segue into the next thing. Okay, what's, what's the next thing? I don't know.
1: Welcome to Originality, the podcast where we explore the roots of creativity and creative genius. I am one of your hosts, Aline Sims, and I am joined by...
0: Kay Tempest Bradford.
1: And then we get awesome music. I love our intro music. I think we did a really good job picking it. It's true. It is really good music. Just saying, Tempest, how are you?
0: In a world (laughs) where it's thirty-two degrees in Florida,
1: did you listen to that episode?
0: I did, and I was like, "There's music behind." It was so amazing, and I said, "And there was an explosion." An explosion happened. Uh, I fell off the bed laughing. It was great.
1: So if you haven't listened to uh, the previous episode of Originality, uh, go listen to like at least the first two minutes. I mean, listen to the whole thing, but listen to the first two minutes because uh, Justin, who does our editing, is um, a creative person and he did some awesome things. So
0: he's amazing.
1: <laughs> so today we are talking about something that we not even teased heavily in the last episode. We flat out said, we're going to talk about this in the next episode. Tempest, do you want to tell everybody uh, the experience that you got to have recently?
0: Yes. Uh, in November of 2017, I was the writer in residence at Searle's Place, which is uh, in Idaho, just outside of Boise. And I got that residency by applying for it. I applied um I think twice. Yes. I applied twice. I got it on my second try. And um, what I got was being able to live in a house that was um, specifically set up for having artists come in, artists and writers come in. And I lived there for a month and I got to take that month to just concentrate on my writing.
1: That is so cool. Congratulations again on that.
0: Woo-hoo, thanks. And yes, it was it was a very illuminating experience. And so um, as we talked about in our last episode, um, uh, when we did the interview with Jody Eichelberger, Jody is the um the director, the creative director of Searles Place. And and so in the course of our conversation that we had about, you know, puppetry and Iceland and looking into puppets' eyes, staring into their eyes and people stuffed in a couch. Um <laughs> They're all on the couch. Oh my god! <laughs> and Jody was saying some things that I felt like really, really spoke to me as a person who grew up in in the Midwest and lived in New York for a long time, and for a long time was like New York is the center of everything, and and the our the center of artistic everything, and therefore I have to be there. And then coming out of that view. And, and now that I'm a vagabond, sort of exploring other places, a lot of the stuff that he had to say about um, deciding to come and live in Boise, um, having lived in New York, having lived in other places, uh, really resonated with with me and with the reason why I applied to residencies in the first place. So I wanted to play just like a few snippets of that conversation um, to get us going on this topic.
2: My experience of New York was not really, that it was the art center of the world that it maybe claimed to be and maybe was at one time. But I don't, I didn't find that to be true anymore. I applied for a scholarship when I was in college. And I actually shared with them a letter that I had written to Jim Henson saying that I wanted to work for him. And I had written it as a high school senior from Boise. And there was a French woman who was on the review panel. And she had asked me, like, Do you feel coming from Boise that that has hindered your ability to express yourself as someone who clearly is interested in creative things? And I I had to think about her question and I kind of didn't even understand it because I was just like, well, no, like it, for me, it's the creativity comes from an internal world and it doesn't, in some ways it is helped by being in a place where there aren't as many distractions possibly or aren't as many voices to compete with, maybe. um, But certainly helped by having time and space. So that, uh, that idea that being in a small place somehow makes you a smaller artist, I don't buy it. You know, you used to have to be in a huge city in order to reach a lot of people. Like there was no way to reach a lot of people from a remote location, but that's not really true anymore. Like this, you know, right now doing a podcast that people can access from anywhere and you can produce it anywhere. Like there's no reason to produce this podcast in New York city.
0: Yeah. There's no reason. And, and we don't,
1: (laughs) we don't. Although, uh, there are a lot of podcasts in New York city. Like there are podcasts um studios and um agencies and all sorts of things and some of them even require their people to be in new york which i think is absolutely fascinating
0: yeah i mean there well i think that there is still a mystique about certain places where they're like well you have to be there in order to and you have to like have you have to have your butt In a certain place in order to take advantage of all the things. Um, You know, before we get into the main topic, I will mention that one of the things that always used to frustrate people as i watched them say respond to calls for technology journalists cuz i you know worked for a lot of different online and even you know print magazines where they would say oh we want freelancers and you know you would do this and you would cover this and they're like but you have to live in new york city and people are like how is it that we still have these things where you where it says you have to live in new york city in order to do this when 95% of this job is done in a small room with the door closed, you know? So, yeah. I feel that
1: way about, yeah, in the tech industry about Slack. Like Slack. Distributed communication. You have to go into an office. Okay? Like, I just don't. Anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, I I was thinking about that um,
0: in context with the thing that Jody was talking about before, where this woman said, oh, because you're from Boise, you must you know, it must have been really hard for you. And I got that as well. I clearly remember having this very strange conversation with one of my poetry professors once who said to me, oh, growing up in Ohio, that must have been really hard for you. And I'm like, why? You know, because there, there was no particular reason for which growing up in Ohio had to be hard for me. But he was—I don't know where he was from, but you know, certainly he lived in New York because I was—I went to school in New York City, and he was of the the literary highfalutin group of people, I guess. And in his mind, it was just like, "Oh well, outside of the coast, clearly it's like artistically bare." And I'm like, "Okay, sure, whatever." <laughs> I almost smacked him in his bald spot that he was trying to hide <laughs> with his high fluffy hair, but. That's another story. So, so yeah, I, I think about that a lot because, as I said, I'm a vagabond now. I don't have a particular fixed address. But for most of my adult life, I lived in New York City. I chose to go to college there. I stayed after college, went away vagabonding for a little bit, found my way back after some misguided adventures in other states that shall not be named, and... <laughs> And I made it work for me, but one of the reasons why I left is because I was finding it harder and harder to make it work for me. But probably one of the reasons why I stayed as long as I did is because I had it in my head for the longest time that I needed to be in New York City in order to do the artistic things that I needed to do. New Yorkers have this idea that just because there are a lot of Well, you have access to a lot of different stuff in New York City. You have access to a lot of different, really high quality artistic experiences, be it theater, visual art, music, dance, whatever it is. Also, there are a lot of people from a lot of different places who live in New York. And whether you want to experience their culture by eating their food, listening to their music or looking at their art participating in some sort of cultural festival that you're allowed to participate in, whatever it is, you can do that. There are just a whole lot of people from a whole lot of places or whose parents or grandparents are from a whole lot of places who live in New York. It's a a wonderful place to be able to touch a lot of different cultures, experience a lot of different people, a lot of different art, right? This is why people have traditionally gone to New York City to live, to experience these things. It's all true. It's not the same, though, as actually experiencing other people's cultures. It's not the same as understanding how other people live. And that's true whether you're talking about how people live in the mountains of Switzerland or the outback in Australia or next to the Nile in Egypt or by the coast in Oregon. You know what I'm saying? Mm Mm-hmm. So that was one of the things that I really came to realize that I was stuck in was this idea that I had to be in New York, that New York was the center of everything. And so I really needed to stay there. And the more I became detached from that idea, the more I was able to reconceptualize and say, I think I need to leave. And I think I need to leave specifically so that I can go and experience what it's like to live in other places when I go out now, I try to stay in a place for at least three to four months. One month sometimes is all I get, but I try to do at least that more because then it becomes less of a vacation and more of a, I'm here. Mm -hmm. I'm experiencing what it's like to live here. And I found so much interesting stuff about how other people live in other places. And it's not like, you know, life-changing great cultural knowledge stuff. Even something as little as the way people in different places conceive of what is really far away and what is really close. I have had so many amazing conversations with people who are like, oh my God, I have to drive 20 minutes to get to that place. <laughs> oh, oh God, it's a tragedy. We don't have to plan all day to drive for 20 minutes. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Um, uh, that, yeah, cause where I grew up, 20 minutes was standard for mm-hmm. getting to a place that wasn't around the corner and, and down the street, like, oh, we're just going down the street meant that you were going 10 minutes down a highway to get to a thing.
1: Yeah. That's very much how living in Phoenix is, uh. Jason Snell's mom lives fairly close to me, so he comes and visits sometimes, and he's like, oh, you know, we're just going around the corner when my mom says that I know it's going to be like half an hour. that We've got one way to go because Phoenix is so spread out, you know. It's like the nearest grocery store to me isn't even in walking distance practically in, you know, the summer. It's over a mile away. There's nothing, like, unless you get a really, really prime house. There's nothing nearby. That's one of the reasons why I started traveling.
0: And that's also one of the reasons why I started applying for residencies because one of the big criteria that I have for if I'm going to go stay in a location is that I have friends there and it has really good public transportation but that does cut out a lot of different places. I don't have I have friends in a lot of different cities. It's actually kind of amazing how many people I know and how many places. But there are some places where I don't have any friends or I have like one friend and that friend can't really put me up. Boise was actually one of those places. Um when I first applied for this residency, one of the reasons why I did it was because I I was like, well, I know I have a friend who lives in Boise, one friend. Now two. And so I know that I won't be totally, totally, totally alone if I'm there. But that was sort of a nice extra thing that made me interested in applying for this residency. But another thing was, is that Boise was not a place that I would have necessarily chosen to go just on a whim. and I mean, like, let me go see what life is like in Boise for two months. It's just not something I would have done. No, me neither. Yeah. So but being able to look at where different residencies are and think about the kind of things that you could explore in that place or just the kind of thing that you can learn about yourself in that place and how people in that place are different from you. All of that is important and rich and it's definitely worth knowing. So, and none of those places are necessarily New York City. So, yeah. So that's that's basically sort of the theme of what we're talking about today is, you know, talking about residencies, talking about being able to you know, find artistic fulfillment in places that aren't the places that everybody says that you have to know and go. Um, And whether that artistic fulfillment is like the quote, the, the arts, the arts on PBS, (laughs) or even, you know, the, the other sort of like expansion of our idea of like arts and creativity that we have here, say for, you know, technology and things like that. Like you don't always have to go to, the one place that everybody says you have to go. You don't always have to be in the center of that world in order to find artistic inspiration and to do well.
1: So, and we have touched on this in previous episodes, which I will find and put on the sh- put in the show notes. Um I, it it's fascinating to me that um there is this attitude that you have to be in a certain place to be fueled creatively. Uh, When you look at the breadth of human experiences, it is ridiculous to say you have to be in Los Angeles or New York city or like whatever that, that place is like, you've got to be in that place to be creative. That's, That's so limiting and so short-sighted that it's just kind of astounding to me that people really still have this attitude, especially as a creative person who's never lived in New York City. I mean, I've taken like day trips to New York from New Jersey. I've never spent any any more than, I don't know, 12 hours in New York City at a time. Uh, I think I'm doing okay, you know? I mean, you are. Don't go to New York. No, actually.
0: (laughs) Well, right now I would say don't go to New York. I would not advise anybody. Right. Don't go. I mean, physically, like specifically not in January. But also just this point in time in New York City is a really messed up time because, especially for artists, because of the way that the the desire to be in New York City and the aura around New York City as a place that you go for the culture and the arts and the things. And combining that with the collection of money into the top, you know, 1% or 2% or whatever it is, and the way that people hide their money by buying up random real estate that they don't actually live in Mm -hmm. and the way that gentrification destroys neighborhoods like this is it's some really heavy socioeconomic talk that I could get into that I'm not gonna but what that boils down to is that New York City now is more unaffordable for the kind of people who make New York City interesting than I think that it has ever been and you know New York City has always been expensive It has always been a place where if you go, you have to struggle a little bit till you make it. You have to live with five people in a room, you know, whatever it is. But now there's not a room for those five people anymore. That room has been bought up by people hiding their illicit assets Mm -hmm. and not actually living in it. So no one's living in that room. And those five people are now on a grate outside. Um, it's, It's just, it's too hard to live there. And I think that the ultimate consequence of that is going to be that New York is going to become culturally bereft in not too long a time from now.
1: It's the same with like San Francisco or the Bay Area in general. It becomes less and less interesting the more, you know, same people you get in there.
0: Yeah. And, you know, a lot of the things that are happening in San Francisco right now are, in, you know, in part because of, you know, you can't have people coming to San Francisco who aren't already. Rich or who aren't already in bed with one technology company or another, mm-hmm. and you know that same innovation and spirit of like, oh, let's go and and we can live in this place surrounded by these other inspiring people, and then get inspired to do our own thing that made Silicon Valley what it is is not going to happen again while it can while whatever is going on right now continues. So I I think that just means that even more so now than before coming from a place that isn't one of these big hubs may actually mean that you are doing something more artistically interesting than the people in the hubs are and growing up in those places it you know when i was growing up in ohio i didn't necessarily feel like totally culturally bereft but one of the reasons why is because i attended a school of the creative and performing arts you know, the uh, the movie and TV show Fame, which takes place in the New York City High School for Creative and Performing Arts, that high school was created because people saw my school and were like, oh, that's a really good idea. We should do that in other places. The School of Creative and Performing Arts that I went to is one of the first, one of the originals, and everybody else copied them. So there you go. So New York was copying us. That's right. Um, <laughs> but, but that resource did exist for us, even though, you know, people who live in New York or come from New York might be like, oh, but Ohio, such a place bereft of the the artistry. And I'm like, okay, but we had a school of performing arts before you did. Mm. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you about your horrible tel- selves. Um, so there was that, but there's also just, yes, as Jody said, sometimes coming from a place where it's not 100% always in your face and not, and everybody's not like, oh, you must see this, or these are the five things that you have to see on Broadway and spend all your money on. And, you know, money is a big factor of it, but like quietness is also a factor of it. I never used to understand when I was a kid, why people lived in Ohio, because I couldn't wait to get out. And, you know, quite honestly, I'm not necessarily going back, but... It just said to me, I was like, why would you live here when you could live in a place like New York? But the people who lived in Ohio who did creative work that I knew about were, were eager to do things that they didn't necessarily have the space and ability to if they lived in a big city like New York or Chicago. You can live very inexpensively in Ohio and then sit and write your book. I know a lot of writers who live in Ohio who who live there in part because they're like, well, I can afford to live here so I can write my books. Cameron Hurley talks about that a lot. Tobias Backell talks about that a lot. John Scalzi doesn't have that problem now. But when <laughs> no, John Scalzi doesn't. was, you know, but many years ago when John Scalzi wasn't necessarily John Scalzi, he was living, you know, in a nice rural place in Ohio and he was able to make a living as a freelancer and whatnot because it didn't cost a lot to live where he lives you know and and he's happy with it which is why he's still there now but part of the reason why he was able to do the things that he did is because he had the freedom because he didn't have a whole lot of financial burdens on him
1: that'd be nice
0: yeah so <laughs> so yeah the, that that place of quiet whether it's a it's something that you you have because you happen to have been born in a place or something that you go to it it's important for a lot of artists, um, giving them the time and the space to just like be able to create and create on their own terms. Another thing is, is that there's just a whole lot of artistic richness that can be ignored if all you're focused on is the place where everything is happening, the room where it happens. We have to be in the state where it happens, the city where it happens. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's nice to, not necessarily be in the place where everything is happening because then you have the time and the resources to be able to just like relax into what's there. Like while I was at the residency, well, first of all, the residency house, Searle's Place, um, it exists because there's an artist named Searle Mitchell. She lived in this house. She built that house Um, and she died of cancer a few years ago. And so when she died, her daughter and some of her friends um, wanted to turn her house into an artist residency because she was so key in turning that part of Boise, uh, Garden City, into a live-work-create area specifically for artists. And so they wanted to sort of continue her legacy of supporting the arts in that city. Uh, And so Cyril was an artist, and so the house is filled with her art, her father's art, um, pieces of art that have been donated or left behind by other residents who've been in the house. And then while I was there, they also had, um, a holiday pop-up shop where there was a lot of art from local artists. So I was surrounded by all this art and it was beautiful. It was so much beautiful art. And some of it was very clearly inspired by local things. There was, um, There's a picture of me, I think, on Facebook where I'm standing next to a piece of art that like is of the foothills that um, surround Boise. And I loved that artist's work because I loved how she captured the essence of the way that those foothills look. And of course, like she she grew up with those. She told me this. she grew up looking at these foothills every day and traveling through them with her family. And they like had a cabin and all the things and that that's wonderful and beautiful and you know somebody in new york might be like oh it's so lovely but really what's more important is to you know painting pictures of the sun setting over the brooklyn bridge which if i see another picture of the brooklyn bridge <laughs> people it's been well photographed we know what it looks like
1: what about the golden gate bridge ah <laughs> yeah you i struggle with this because um I am from a very small town. Like my graduating class was, there were 24 of us. Uh, and that was the only high school. It wasn't like a special high school. It was the high school. And now it's even smaller. Like the graduating classes are eight to 11 students. Um, because people like my age, uh, we left for the most part. There are a couple of people I graduated with who still live in town. Um, and the reason I'm, I'm saying all of this is because there is creativity to be found there. Um, and there is beauty to be found there. And there is a uniqueness to perspective and environment, you know, it's, um, it's it's beautiful it really is beautiful it's surrounded by forests and farmland and um Anasazi ruins and um it's it's amazing but there's also um there is also a lack of creativity um because y- you know we were all raised survival was the first priority and so we were all raised to find jobs. Like you grow up, you go to college, or maybe you go to a junior college and get an associate's degree and I don't know, something applicable to dryland farming. And then you come back or you leave, you know, you go to college, you get a job and you don't ever come back, but your priority was always getting a job. And it was, you know, in school, it was, passing standardized tests. We didn't have a music program. Um, an art program was required for, I think half a semester in school, like drawing type art. Um, there was an elective woodworking class and that was kind of the extent of, of creative things in school. And so what I learned was this is how you write a paragraph. You have, uh, an opening supporting statements and a conclusion for every paragraph you write in an essay. And it wasn't as much about which, and I'm not deriding that method of writing. You've got to know that before you can move on to other things, right? You got, you have to know the basics before you can figure out how to play with the rules. But like, those are the types of things that I learned and it was never, okay, well now, you know, that five point paragraph structure, let's move on and see how you can start manipulating that. It was like, oh, okay, we have that. So let's move on to the next very structured thing. And the thinking creatively for creativeness sake was not something that we had in the school system. So if that was something that we wanted, we had to figure out how to foster that for ourselves. And, um, I feel like I'm still kind of trying to do that. I'm still trying to shake off that five paragraph. I'm over here shimmying as I talk, shake off that five, you know, the five point paragraph, you know, I know the five point paragraph. I'm okay. I can move beyond that. You know, like I understand what it was teaching. Um, so, so I, I think that c- that creativity can be had anywhere, but I do think that there are, and I'm not saying it's just rural areas like where I grew up or or whatever, but like there, I think that there's also an encouragement of creativity that is really important to foster um, that I think is maybe more readily available in bigger areas because it just, it happens because you have people doing it. Whereas where I grew up, I mean, it happened. I'm not saying it didn't happen, but the concentration was much smaller because people were just trying to survive. Does that all make sense?
0: Yeah, it does. I mean, you know, for all, I'm like, I grew up in Ohio. I also grew up (laughs) in a city. Boise, though small, is a city. Um, It's a capital. So things, things often happen in capitals, even if they're not happening outside of capitals. But yeah, like there's, you know, there's a difference in scale and even though it, you know, even within that framework, there may still be people who are, like, very ultra-concentrated on, no, we just have to, like, make sure that you get out here so that you have the skills to get a job. Um, It's not necessary that within, just because you're in a place that is not on the coast or Chicago or whatever it is, that you're going to find a, like, people saying you know we're not going to concentrate on creativity at all mm-hmm. but I can definitely see how like that would happen in in more like tinier tinier places because it yeah. seems like what what people it's it's people who like grow up and become you know they become artists and then they go find a place that is very remote to do their work that you tend to see that happening
1: yeah and I mean I don't want to paint like a super bleak bleak picture <laughs> I mean <laughs> in a town of, I don't know, fewer than a thousand people, you it, know, it's hard. I mean, everything's hard, but if I had gone, if we had lived even, you know, like 30 miles away in the next biggest town, they had a music program. They had an art program. They had a, a drama department they had, you know, so it's just a matter of, you know, school funding and all of that, you know, school resources and, and that kind of thing too. But, um, Anyway, it, it, all that to, is to say, like, I do not agree with that, I guess, big city assumption that you have to live in the big city to thrive creatively. But I also have experienced kind of the flip side of living somewhere very rural and isolated and small and insular and feeling how that can negatively impact creativity if that makes sense. That does. But what you do when you live in those areas is, and you're, you know, young, (laughs) I think it's easier to overcome when you're older. Like when you're young and you don't know any better, it's like, well, this is the world. Um, I feel like that's where traveling and exploring comes into play and figuring out, visiting other cultures and seeing other perspectives as much as you can. Um, And sometimes that's not possible. Like sometimes there's just not the money, but.
0: Yeah. But as Jody was saying, now we have technology and it's far more possible than it, than it would have been even when, you know, we were teenagers. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I, I got the internet when I was in high school and I used it to role play on AOL, but (laughs) I did not use it to explore the world. It's sad, but, but yeah, and. And though, you know, internet access is still not universal and it can still be a challenge, um, especially if you are, um, if you're poor, if you live in in a remote area where like not every house has internet access. So you would have to like go into the town to the the library to get on the internet and whatnot. So it's not to say that the internet has equalized everything, but it has definitely made it possible for more people to be able to reach out and form artistic communities that are outside of their home um, to get the exposure to new and interesting things and, and other ways of going forward with their artistry. As I talked about in a previous episode, you know, had postmodern jukebox existed when I was a teenager, my life would probably be very different because I would be like, yes, I'm going to play a clarinet in a steampunk marching band and then, uh, help to compose awesome versions of modern pop songs to make them sound like they're from another era. Like (laughs) I would totally be doing that. Yeah. Right now. Um, yeah, that's what I would have gone to school for. So, (laughs) so yeah, I, I love that we do have that. And, and I suppose what, what really interests me is the fact that, it is possible it's been possible to take advantage of that kind of thing for a while but it's, but we still have people who have that mentality of oh you have to be here you have to be at that place i don't get it
1: yeah i don't either can I, can i tell you a secret it's actually not a yes. secret but can i tell you a secret uh, so i left twitter for like 3 days recently um and i was like i'm never ever going back i can't handle it anymore i can't deal with this and I'm back reading Twitter. Not posting as much now, but but reading it. And it's because of the community. It's because the other social media services that I use are all very like tech-centric. They're very white. There are a lot of guys. And until and it was because there's I was just like, there's this diversity of thought that I'm missing. I'm not seeing I'm not seeing stories anymore. I'm not seeing, you know, queer authors sharing their microfiction right now. I don't see, you know, women of color sharing their lived experiences like I do on Twitter. And I missed that. Like, I don't necessarily interact with the people sharing the stories beyond maybe liking a tweet or whatever, but I missed seeing that. And I felt already just in a few days, like... I was missing out on so much perspective and richness of experience and thought that I was like, all right, I've got to, I've got to figure something out. So I need to go through and mute a bunch of keywords or something. So I don't see the tweets that are depressing, but I, it didn't last long. It really didn't last long. Yeah.
0: I've been trying very hard to like get all the people that I love that, that are stimulating and awesome and have wonderful conversations to like move to something else.
1: Get them all on the slack. Yeah. I mean, it's hard because there's, um, there's Mastodon, which is a, um, an open-sourced social media platform. So anyone can host an instance of it, but it's then it's like, okay, well, what instance do I join? Because it doesn't necessarily cross-post across all of them. So it's like I've got to choose. Am I going to choose, you know, the the YA one and, and read the young adults, uh, fiction authors, or am I reading the tech one or, or am I, you know, am I participating more in like the queer tech side of things? So I get, I get those insights and perspectives or, and so it's like, well, how many, how many different instances of Mastodon can I check a day, you know? And, um, a Slack, Slack team holds the same challenges. It's like, yeah, this can be awesome, but you know, there there are more perspectives that I'm missing. And I, I don't know how to solve that. I don't have a solution for that right now.
0: Yeah. And Mastodon also suffers from the fact that it's not immediately apparent from looking at it how you're supposed to use it. Also true. Which is very frustrating.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So so yeah, in and going, you know, going back to having to live in a city. I live in a city now and I know um, Tempest, you took me to task a little bit in our last conversation because I was like, there's not a lot of artistic community here. I know there is. I just don't seek it out. Um, and part of that is because I do actually know a couple of people who are more involved in that and I don't get along with them. Um, but there's also the fact that I, I am due to you know, a variety of factors. Phoenix just isn't the place for me. And I feel really bad living here. And I don't leave the house a whole lot anymore. You know, we've got it uh, hermetically sealed with air filters going all the time, air purifiers going and humidifiers and uh, just trying to make it so that I can get my work done day to day. And that is why I rely. And that's why I want to (laughs) move. But that's also why I rely so much on, you know, like Twitter. uh, And not so much Facebook, mostly Twitter to to help me experience the world a little bit more than I do.
0: Yeah, which is all totally valid because sometimes it's it's not possible to be able to get out and see and do all the things. You know, as I said, I, I have to go places where there is pretty good public transportation because yeah. if there's not, then I don't get out to see anybody or do anything because I don't drive and uh, I don't have a car. And... I have found that this actually is like really key to how I feel about certain cities and how I feel about the opportunities for people to just like do things and, and, and have a certain kind of life in different cities because, you know, plenty of people are like, oh, I have to have a car. I have to, you know, live in this place or do that thing because if I didn't, you know, my quality of life would be absolutely crap even in Portland, Oregon, which is one of my favorite places to be, which does have a pretty good public transportation system in which when I'm there, I do feel like I could get around to most places on the bus or with my bike or on the train and it wouldn't it's not that big a deal. Um even there there are a lot of people who have cars and, and who are mm-hmm. like, well, I got to have a car in order to like be able to do do these specific things or to have the, just the freedom to get in my car and go to places. Um I have to live downtown because then that way I can walk to work because otherwise I would have to like have this commute, whatever. So, so yeah, there, there are always these limiting factors. And I guess like the best thing I think is a place that has as few limiting factors as possible.
1: Yeah. That the car, the car thing is huge and the commute thing is huge. I think. I know that for me, having a car and not having a commute is something that I really, really value. And as I am looking to move and looking at jobs, it's something that I'm really considering is like, wow, how am I going to stand to go into an office every day? Um, And like giving up my car. So right now, since we both work from home, we only have one car. Um, But giving up my car and going from two cars to one was such a big deal to me because again, being from where I am, a car really represented like freedom and, and and adulthood and and all of that. And, um, and it was rough. Like there, there's definitely a mindset change. I think that has to happen when you're, you're going from kind of that experience to something hopefully more urban and, uh, Public transporty, Um, But how was, like, Boise, you were there for how long? Just the month of the residency, or were you there longer? Yeah, just a
0: month. No, okay. I was there for
1: a month. And so I know that you were there to focus on what you were doing and writing, but, like, how was it to experience, I don't know where the house was located compared to, like, hubs of, of maybe inspiration in the city, but, like, how did you manage to to find things or did you just mostly stay in the house and so was your kind of goal or point for being there?
0: Well, I, I tried not to be in the house 24 seven because, um, sunlight is very helpful, but so the place where the house is located is called garden city. And it's this little tiny city that's like inside of the city of Boise. It's like carved out right by the river and garden city is about two miles, maybe less than two miles from downtown Boise. And they have, a, so there's a river that runs through Boise. It's called the Boise River. Or is it, yes, yeah, the Boise River. And so it runs through Boise. And it's not a very big river, not very wide. Um, and Garden City sits right on the edge of it. And I don't know when this started, but at some point in the not too distant past, the cities were like, we should make the the walk along the river, a very beautiful one. And so they call it the Boise Green Belt, where there's a walking and biking path that that goes right along the river on both sides of it. And at different parts in the path, there are things like, you know, nice, beautiful uh, city parks that everybody can enjoy. Now they're building a lot of condos and townhomes on the park and whatnot. And so if you want to walk along the Green Belt, then it's it's a beautiful walk. Like, And they have, you know, Boise is also just like a very naturally beautiful place. I can see why visual artists would enjoy being there a lot because there's a lot to be inspired by in terms of just the natural landscape. And just outside of the city there, you will have plenty of beautiful trees to look at and areas that aren't overdeveloped yet. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And but it's coming. Everything is always coming. Um, and, and nice, beautiful park spaces and stuff like that. So, so that was always nice because even though I'm not particularly looking for that kind of thing to inspire me creatively, it is nice to be in that kind of environment to be able to relax and, and like, it's just helpful for my artistic brain to sort of like click into gear. So that was nice. And I could walk from where I was to downtown Boise um, if if it was warm enough. And then in downtown, there's like everything that you could want in terms of like, oh, there's a bunch of cafes, there's a library, there's bookstores, places to eat, all that. The thing is, if you want to walk anywhere in Boise that isn't on the green belt, Jesus help you. Because it is just not a thing that Boise expects you to do outside of downtown. And it's one of those things where it's just a city that was designed with like everybody's gonna be driving a car. And in some places there may be sidewalks. In some places there may not be sidewalks. I remember once I was trying to get somewhere and Google's like, go along that road. And I'm like, Google, that's not a road. That's a dirt path. And there's and a cars could go down this dirt path, and I'm gonna die. Um <laughs> Oh no! And that happened to, right, and that happened to me several times. Where like Google was like, "Just do this," and I was like, "Google, that's not. I'm gonna die." Um, and and that's this is again like one of the things that I have learned to try to appreciate about going to different places is just like understanding how it is that you are expected to get around. You're expected to drive a car to get to any place in Boise. And the green belt, even though it is a way for you to like travel from where you are into downtown safely on a path that is well-maintained and et cetera. Um, it's more of a like, isn't this nice to have? And, oh, we're going for a stroll or we're going to do our power walking or I'm going to bike. But it's, it's like it's not really meant as a primarily as a means of travel. Um. And and that's one of the things that I found interesting about it. And so I did a lot of walking on the green belt just to like walk, not necessarily try to get anywhere. Because like I said, every time I tried to actually go somewhere by walking, it turned into a travesty. Like <laughs> there are so many stories. Um, because Boise is just not it's not designed that way. But I think that that is also part of, you know, that thing where is if a place is going to be, I don't know, fulfilling or. Or if it's going to be for more than just like one type of person, it has to it has to have multiple ways of like being able to exist. Should, you know, I should be able to exist without a car or whatnot. But one of the things that was really interesting that happened while I was there is that Garden City, it used to be um, a not pleasant place to live, according to some of the folks that I spoke to in Boise. But Cyril Mitchell was part of you know, a sort of sea change in making that area and specific districts in Garden City to be, you know, like four artists, um, four people who are like living and working in the same space and whatnot. And so now that means that they're having, they have a lot of new housing over there, a lot of artists moving into this new housing. And then there was a cafe that opened while I was, like my, my last two days there, they opened this cafe. And Jody was talking to me about it and he and I actually was in the cafe that day because I'm a writer cafe is my natural habitat. Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? <laughs> um so I was in the cafe and he walked in. I was talking to everybody and later on he was saying to me or to somebody that he walked into the cafe and it was like walking into the neighborhood. Everybody was there, you know, his neighbors, uh, artists who were involved in um, a lot of the Searles Place uh, events and fundraising or, or who were part of the Live Work Create district. Like they were all in there at various times that day, getting coffee, hanging out, talking to each other, having a community experience. It was really lovely. And when you can create pockets like that where people don't have to go all the way downtown to go to the cafe, where people don't have to go all the way downtown to find a nice restaurant to sit in or to gather and talk and to be with each other and like sit and write the great American novel. Those things are really nice. Um, I feel like those things are are very important to me as a writer, having that kind of space. I think this is probably why I love Portland so much because Portland is full chock full of cafes like that yeah it is and you know if you live in a neighborhood in portland and you go into the cafe you're gonna see a, a bunch of other people from your neighborhood because it's part of the culture there to like go to the cafe and get some coffee and hang out for a little bit and when i first went to portland i was like why why do a whole bunch of these cafes close at three o'clock or four o'clock or five o'clock. I'm like, what is this? I need to write into the night. Well, I'll tell you why. Because that's when the bars open. And unlike New York City, which I will not go to a bar in New York City. I don't like bars anyway. And New York City bars are the worst bars ever in America. Um, but in Portland... The bars are basically just cafes where they serve beer and hard liquor, but they're really cafes. Like it's, it's got that same vibe. The number of times I saw somebody sitting on their MacBook in a corner, writing mm-hmm. their novel or their screenplay or whatever it is that they were doing in a bar. I was like, Oh, this is why the cafe is closed early. Cause people just move on to the bar <laughs> so and they trade up their tea for like beer and cider and stuff. And, and again, like you're going to see people from your neighborhood in that bar and, and it's, you know, their community gathering places. And I love that because I find that to be useful.
1: The thing about Portland for me is why is everything closed on Monday? Just why is everything closed on Monday?
0: Because you got to be asleep, man. You worked (laughs) hard all weekend (laughs) at the cafe and the bar drinking things. You need a day of rest.
1: So I have a question about your transition from like being a New Yorker living in New York to being a vagabond. Like where, where was the first place you visited or your first like stop on your, your journey of vagabondiness? Do you remember? It was Florida. It was, Florida. it was Orlando, Florida. Yes. It was Orlando. Yeah. Cause it was the winter. Oh, I mean in Florida it's, not the worst, but like, so New York to Orlando is like culturally very different. Right. So what, what was that transition like for you? Like realizing, I'm trying to think of how to formulate this question succinctly, but was there a moment of realization where you were like, oh, I've done something, you know, wonderful or awful or or something like that moment where it became real to you that you were no longer like living in New York, but you were living this nomadic kind of modern nomadic lifestyle, I guess. Uh, was there a moment that was like, this is really different or... Or Or, oh my God, what have I done or or anything like that? There were a
0: lot of little moments uh that happened over time that were like that. Um, and it started with really simple things that I didn't think about too hard before they happened. Then I was like, I should have anticipated this. like the lack of people bringing food to my house on demand in New York, you can get almost anything brought to your house on demand. And this is even before like Uber Eats and TaskRabbit and Instacart and whatever else. Like there are very few places in New York that are food places that aren't sit-down restaurants that won't bring you food. And a lot of sit-down restaurants will still bring you food. I really miss being able to have any kind of food I want on demand brought to my house. Mm -hmm. So so that was a big thing. Um, Dealing with the the real lack of freedom I felt at first because of the public transit situation. Because I'm spoiled. I lived in New York most of my adult life and I'm like, I should be able to get on a subway train at any time of the day or night and go where I need to go. And I should be able to get on a bus at any time of the day or night and go where I need to go. And that's just really not a thing in most places. I didn't expect it in Orlando because I was actually staying in a suburb of Orlando. I knew that I wouldn't be taking a bus anywhere where I was there. Um, But, you know, even getting to Portland, Portland is better than most cities that I've experienced in terms of public transportation and the options therein. But some places I would go and I was like, this transit system really is only designed to get people to downtown and then back home. It is not designed to do anything else. And it makes it really hard to do things outside of that paradigm. Um, And I found, I find that to be the most frustrating thing about American cities is how poor our public transportation options are. Um, And then, as I was saying earlier, the thing about people's relationship to distance and what is too far to them or, or what is close. um, San Francisco is, I think about, the same mentally as New York in terms of people like people who live in San Francisco or people who are like people who live in Manhattan and They're like, Oh, I got to get on a train and go all the way to Brooklyn. I got to get a train oh, all the way to Oakland. Oh, God! Oh, the humanity, it's not that <laughs> it's really not that far. And you're sitting the entire time, unless mm-hmm. it's rush hour, you may not be sitting, but like you're sitting in a not terribly uncomfortable chair the entire time. Somebody else is driving, you ain't got to do nothing but read your book and listen to music. But so, oh, God, we have to get on the train and go to Oakland to Berkeley. <laughs> oh, oh, the humanity, you know, and, and it's like. something about crossing that water. It's just like, nope, not going to do it. Um, live in Portland. Portland is another city where it's like divided in about, you know, roughly half by a river. Um, and so people who live on the side of the river that has downtown Portland in it tend to be like, I don't know if I want to go all the way over to the other side of the river. <laughs> and they're not as bad as it, as people who are like, oh God, Brooklyn. Um, but, but there is like a mental barrier. They're like, oh, that stuff over there. There's um, the neighborhood that I was living in, uh, Hawthorne is, I remember seeing it written up in one of the weekly newspapers as like, Tre- you know, gems, undiscovered gems of places to go and be. And I'm like, this place is four miles from downtown. You mm. all know this is four miles from downtown, don't you? <laughs> Why are you acting like we're in the boonies and you got to like you know, get Lewis and Clark out here to like help mm. you discover it. Like what's going on? Um,
1: Fat but... straw bubble tea is amazing though. That's like true. For, for yeah.
0: <laughs> Do it. <laughs> um, I love that place. It's um, so good. And, but then, but still people who live in Portland are like pretty they're pretty okay with like crossing that river to go do stuff. I lived for a few months in St. Paul, Minnesota and St. Paul is one of the twin cities with Minneapolis. Did I see anybody who lived in Minneapolis the entire time that I was in St. Paul? No, No. (laughs) nope. Well, I saw like maybe a third of the people that I know in that area who live in Minneapolis. I saw them each once the entire time I was there um i didn't i didn't personally cross that river into minneapolis but once because i couldn't find anybody who was living in st paul who was willing to just traipse over to minneapolis for no good reason wow. um yeah like even though they are just on either side of the river and there're public transportation options that go back and forth between them like it, you know people are like oh I'm not I don't want to go over to St. Paul oh I don't want to go over to that Minneapolis so yeah I when I was in St. Paul I was in St. Paul and there was no leaving it um and yeah it's but but where I grew up we were just on the other side of a river from another city and we were constantly going over the bridge mm-hmm. or the bridges to get to that city now mostly it was because the liquor is cheaper on the other side of the river
1: and <laughs> <Hey>, that's important <laughs> oops
0: Right, um, but like there was not ever anybody being like, oh my god, we can't go to, we're we going over there, we can't go over there, it's so far away, it's on the other side of the river. No, there was never any of that. Like nobody ever hesitated to like be, oh, we have to go over there, like this, just do it. Um, so so yeah, getting used to people's different ideas of what is near and far, and like what's kind of a pain in the butt to get to, um. That, that I sort of, I experienced in New York, but I bucked against it. So it would be a lot of little things like that. But um, also the the attitude toward what is interesting to do and what's available to do in each city is all different. And and part of it has to do with what is just, you know, that you do have a good opportunities to see really good bands, even though if it's not a band that you know about or they're like a major label band or whatever, um, you're still... Excited to be like, "Oh, yeah, let's go to that place and let's see like what music is happening um the The conception of the quality of the arts that you get access to is different in different cities, and I don't necessarily see a huge disparity in the artistic quality of the things that I've seen, the museums I've been to, the performances I've been to, whatever, but there's definitely a disparity in the idea of whether or not it's good and worthy Mm -hmm. that I find interesting. So yeah, so it's, it's a lot of little things, but there was never like one really big thing that made me go like, Oh God, I'm not in Kansas anymore.
1: (laughs) Except for like the flight from New York to Orlando or wherever else you're going.
0: There are, There are so many children on flights to Orlando.
1: Oh, I bet there are.
0: (laughs) So many.
1: Oh, man. Uh, So I have a question actually about your residency, which is completely, you know, we've gone afield, not far afield, but we have gone afield from there. Um, How do you think your time as writer in residence? Like are there takeaways that like did you learn something about yourself or your process or or whatever uh that you're going to take away from that and be able to apply in different kinds of situations?
0: A lot of things actually um pursuant to what we were just talking about, never discounting a place just because it's a place that I have no particular like good feelings about, you know, somebody said to me like, let's go to Boise. I'd have been like, I don't think so. <laughs> like that's not What's something Boise? I would be doing. Um, but, but that's, you know, it wasn't based on anything except for like Boise is one of those middle s- cities in the middle <laughs> state that I just, I'm going to the coast. Um, and also because like I said, I didn't know very many people there. Mm-hmm. But I I found out a lot of really interesting stuff about Boise while I was there. I connected with a lot of really amazing people. Um, as I said, it's a beautiful place. And it's like it, there were a lot of unexpected but positive things about going to Boise that I would not have necessarily anticipated. So that was awesome. But that's also why I'm sort of open to these kind of things. Um So going forward, like never discounting a residency due to place. I also did learn a lot about my process as a writer and mostly just like what I need to be able to like hit my goals in terms of like how much I write during the day or how many words or whatever it is, because that was being in that house was the first time that I had been alone in a place for more than a week and a half since I left New York.
1: And how long has that been?
0: It's been three years. Okay. And even when I lived in New York, I was rarely ever alone in my own apartment because I had to have roommates. And the last month and a half, I guess the last technically two months, I was in my apartment before I left. I was alone, but I was also packing the entire time. It wasn't a time of like solace and comfort for me. Mm Mm-hmm. So this is the first time I've been alone for this much time in a long time. And I discovered that I really need to spend more time by myself Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, in order to just like be able to like quiet my mind and like really think about what it is that I'm writing to engage in some of the other artistic pursuits that feed my creativity, even though they're not something that I share. Um, I'm a really terrible visual artist, but I do draw and sometimes drawing is what I need to be doing. I still sing, but I only sing for myself and the acoustics in that place were great. It did a lot of <laughs> singing, um, by myself alone. Um, and also just figuring out that in order to get all of my writing done, I need to not try to do all of it in one session. Yeah. I, I need to just throughout the day, Take twenty minutes, sit down, and have a session. And if I don't do well that session, it's fine. Then I stop. I go do other stuff. Uh, you know, I read whatever. And then, but later on, I come back and I do another twenty minute session. And I keep doing twenty minute sessions until I finally hit my stride, and then I can do several twenty minute sessions in a row. You know, just like a short break in between them. Those were the days that I got the most writing done, and it's because I had the time, and I had a whole day, and. I just kept like going away and be like, nope, nope, I can't handle this right now. And then coming back to it later. And so I learned that that's an important part of my process. And I need to incorporate it more in my non-residency life. Um, Also realizing how important it is for me to spend time not doing any focused creative work, but meditating. Uh, That's just like, that's a me thing for my mental health. And luckily I have a very free form life where I can do that. I can concentrate on that in my regular life outside of a residency if I want to. Um, that's not something that everybody can do. I'm I'm very privileged in that aspect. Um, but that was something that I learned that I actually really did need in my life for my self and for my creativity during that time. Um, and then, yeah, just like, Having the time just to really think about how focusing on my writing, how important that is to me, because, you know, this whole thing where I was like, I'm going to leave New York, I'm going to go do these things. It was all ostensibly to be able to focus on my writing, but I still have to live. I still have to make money and do things. And so I still have other obligations. So having a time where I didn't have any other obligations, where the only thing I had to be doing was that because I didn't have to pay any rent. I didn't have to pay any bills that month, except for like the ones that I always have to pay, but I didn't have to work at anything to like pay the bills. That was, it was really, really useful just for just figuring out me and what I need as an artist. And so I think that that was like just as valuable as having a space to do my writing work for a month. I also had the space to figure out who I am and what I need as a writer. That's awesome. Everybody should do residencies <laughs> if you can, although it's really hard. That's the that's the other thing is that I have I have the kind of life where doing a residency is not a huge disruption to my life. Yeah. Um that's not for everybody. But if you can find a residency and there are writing and artist residencies for for any kind of artistic discipline, there are residencies. Visual art, theater, dance, music, writing, interstitial stuff, mixed media, all of it. There are residencies for everything. Some residencies are like, it's a week. It's two weeks instead of a whole month. Some are like a month, two months, three months. I applied to one this year that I didn't get. It made me really sad because basically it's like, there are these tree houses in Switzerland where you can live for three months and write. And I'm like, what? Right? Right. Right. That would be amazing. Yeah. So I applied to the treehouse residency, didn't get it. Uh, I'll keep applying because I really want to live in, you know, a fancy treehouse for for three months in Switzerland. Um, So, yeah, there there are residencies that are long and there are some that are short. Um, Some residencies are... A place where you can go and you can pay a fee to be there. And that fee would be less than it would cost if you like just went off and got a hotel room somewhere, right? So you're still paying to go and be somewhere and concentrate on your writing, but you're not paying as much money as you would pay to rent a house, to go to a hotel, whatever. Um, some are free though, and you know, they're they're supported by a nonprofit agency. Sorrel's place or Sorol's place is um free to stay in. They ask for a deposit just, you know, in case like something gets messed up in the house that you did, but then they give you the deposit back right away. They're very good about that. Um, But otherwise, like I didn't have any expenses while I was there and they gave me a small stipend for food.
1: Oh, nice. And
0: yeah. And then some places they they even have like a larger stipend. It just depends on what their, I guess, endowment is or whatever, how much money they make through fundraising. So there are lots of different options in terms of time that you can spend there. In terms of cost, um, and so I would say that if you have the ability to do a residency, um, I I really highly suggest that you apply. If you can only do, you know, ones that are really short, like a week or you know two weeks or something along those lines, um, go for it. Like find as many of those as you can, and we'll include in the links in the show notes, links to places where I have found residencies. Um, There's like a website that has a database full of them. And so that's what I generally check. And you can look for residencies that concentrate on your artistic discipline. Um, And you can search and see like, oh, do they have an application fee? Are they free or are they for pay or whatever it is? All that information is there. But I just really think it's, you know, sometimes you just need to be able to get away from the space where you are or to get away from your obligations for a short amount of time um, to get away from other distractions, uh, even though Searle's place wasn't necessarily like off in the hills somewhere like (laughs) and there's no one around and there's no Internet. It wasn't quite like that, but it was like on a quiet residential street in a small townish area of town where there wasn't a lot going on. And if I wanted to see things, I had to like walk a ways to get to them, but it wasn't remote. But that's exactly actually what I needed. Like that was perfect for me. But there are some that are like off deep in a wood, you know, somewhere or something like that. Find the the things that you think are going to be helpful to you to like help you to concentrate and and go for it. Because I think that like four artists residencies can be just really transformative. If you are not able to do a residency, if you don't get into the residencies that you apply for, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are like missing out on the one key thing that is, that will make you an artist. <laughs> it's not like that, but you know, if, if you are able to, it's something that I really highly recommend. I've already applied for four residencies already. Oh, wow. It's, you know, yeah. First week of January, I was like, oh, look, everything opened up. Let's go.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, even even if, you know, Tempest, like you were saying, even if you can't afford or you can't go to a week, you know, see if there's an Airbnb near you uh, where you can go for a weekend, you know, like a couple hour drive if you have a car or whatever that just kind of changes the scenery a little bit. I know people who actually do that for conference talks. They'll just they've got like, they'll be keynoting or something and they'll really want to focus on it. So they'll take two nights and find even a local Airbnb down the street and go there, you know, not everywhere has Airbnb and I, I get that. But like, if the, it just, if there's something that you can do, that's inexpensive and you can afford it, even just a couple of days outside of your kind of normal, uh, pressure filled life, whether you're, you know, it's kids and, and relationships or, you know, emptying the dishwasher or whatever, you know, just something that can kind of like transplant, you for just a little bit can be really, really beneficial. Definitely. And depending on where you are, especially if you can find
0: some places that when it's in season, wherever that is for you, it's kind of expensive out of season, they tend to be way less expensive, you know, um, in the winter time in Woodstock, New York, my writing group and I we used to you know all collectively rent a house that we could be in for like four or five days, and have a writing retreat. And that was we were able to do that because the that house was much less expensive in February than it is in June. Vail, yeah, so Colorado. we were able to. Yeah, Vale, uh, all Col- the like little mountain yeah. towns, ski resort yeah, they town.
1: Probably- Best time to go is in the summer.
0: Yep. Because there's no snow and people are like, why are we up here? Yep. What's going on? You can go to Beaver Creek. I was recently in Beaver Creek. Uh. It's a little creepy. (laughs) A little creepy. Slightly. It was a lovely conference though, but. mm. Mm. Yeah. You know,
1: Colorado has sketchy parts.
0: (laughs) Indeed. But yeah. So if, you know, if you can find the, find places that are nearish to you that It is within your, you know, resources to be able to get to them inexpensively and stay there inexpensively, um, just to get three or four days and, and have just like time to yourself. And the other thing I would say is if you do this, um, don't put too much pressure on yourself to make it like the most productive time you've ever had in your life. About a week into my residency, I was like, I've made a terrible mistake. I can't do this. I haven't written enough. It was nano too, and I wasn't I wasn't hitting my nano rhymo goals. I was very sad. And then um, I belonged to a group on Facebook where it's like a, a a private group where a lot of us apply for different residencies. And right around that time, when I was like, "This is terrible," and I'm a failure, somebody posted uh, to like a, a status to the group, basically saying something like. So on this application, they're asking me what I plan to do at this residency. Should I just say what I plan to do is for the first half of the residency not be able to get anything done, feel like a complete failure, bang my head against the wall and wish that I had never wasted anyone's time, then get a brilliant idea that has nothing to do with the work that I even applied to this residency with, (laughs) work on that, and then the last day be dragged kicking and screaming from the residency house. And I was like, oh, oh, so this is normal then. And there were so, <laughs> there were so many responses under my comment, where they were like, oh yes, it's complete. This is completely normal. Like, oh, do you feel bad about not getting a lot done? Don't feel bad about that. No, no, no. This is fine. Everybody goes through this. This is your first residency. Oh, you're fine. Like there was so much re- <laughs> Good. reassurance coming from, this is why I love this community. And, and yeah, so it's it's just because like you can't always like immediately like turn on your creativity or turn on the the fountain of words or turn on the fountain of whatever artistic thing you're doing just because you're in a space for that um you know for me again it turned out to be more useful to illuminating my process you know figuring out what works best for me as a writer and that took a while illuminating what i needed in order to you know work best, that took a while um you know, so it wasn't necessarily about the amount of words that I got done. I didn't finish the draft that I thought I was going to finish, but i I got a lot out of it, and so yeah, don't get too caught up in I have this specific goal or this many words I have to get done or this many paintings or this much sculpture, just like just figure out like what it is that you need in those moments that you have that. And that's enough. I think.
1: I agree. And that applies whether you can go away or not. Give yourself grace. Yes. That is always the way. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, is there anything else you wanted to mention about your residency or vagabond life? (laughs) Well, the only thing
0: I will say is this, is that if you are a person who has some discretionary income and you are like, I would like to also contribute to the health and happiness of these writing residencies, then I highly suggest that you go to the ones that are nonprofits and donate if you can. Yeah. Um if you go to searlsplace.org dot org and that's S-U-R-E-L, S P L A C E dot org. I suggest that you drop a few coins in their um, fundraising, at their fundraising link, which we will include in the show notes. Absolutely.
1: Um, because,
0: you know, they they are a totally nonprofit organization. All the money that they raise goes to, you know, maintaining the house and making it so that artists can come and live there for free, you know, and give them a little bit of money to help with, you know, their food and expenses and stuff. And, you know, they, they don't even ask for a... Um, an application fee, which is actually kind of unusual. So there's no application fee to apply and there's no money that you have to give them forever to live there. So I think it's definitely a place worth supporting, but uh, you know, there are lots of different artistic residencies. So if you have the ability to support one or others, or, you know, you see one that you think is really awesome, even if you can't go, um, please support them because they're awesome places. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, I'd like to thank Jody for giving, providing this awesome place or being in charge of providing this awesome place for for artists and for being um, the voice as we kicked off this conversation. I will, of course, include links to all of his stuff in our show notes for this episode. I am Aline. You can find me on Twitter. It's at a L E E N, you can find Tempest at Tiny Tempest and the show, of course, at originality FM. And until next time.
0: Uh stay residential. That's okay. terrible. No. <laughs> <laughs> Cut that one out. Um, uh, until <clears throat> until next time. In a world. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I guess until next time, foster your creativity.